So now we've come to the third step, and it's page six. And I just, don't you love this? Let's say the title, The Fetching of the Bride. And this is actually what it's called in Jewish tradition. I know that's a technical term, but you know. And it doesn't, as far as I know, it maybe have a Hebrew name, but I don't know it. So it's both, both mysterious and unpredictable. And it's a period that requires waiting. So I don't know about it, how many of you like to wait. <laughs> and even as I wrote this and I teach it, I think, ugh, I'm the worst at waiting. But why is it so difficult to wait? We are in a culture that has immediate satisfaction. We just want it when we want it. And some of us resent postponements. You know, you have a doctor's appointment at 10, you're still sitting there at 11.30, and the receptionist looks up to you and smiles and said, well, the doctor's running a little late. Yeah, hello. <laughs> or you're in traffic and, you know, and you didn't expect the traffic, so you didn't put it into your timetable. And so, or <laughs> there's all kinds of delays. And, you know, I don't have this in my notes, but even sometimes our prayers, when we pray and we think, okay, God, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, it says you always answer our prayers, where is it? And I think of Elizabeth, who was married to Zachariah, remember her? And Zachariah got that once in a lifetime opportunity as a common priest to go into the temple, into the altar of incense, the holy place, and present the prayers of Israel up to God. That was once in a lifetime. Do you remember what happened? These angels, don't you just love angels? They're all around us. The angel comes and said, Zechariah, God has heard your prayers you and Elizabeth, he's heard your prayers. He's going to give you a son. And who was that son? John the baptizer, who became the forerunner of Messiah. So when I think about waiting, and I think about some prayer needs I have or requests, and they're sort of deep down buried because I don't have an answer yet. And I have to be encouraged by that. God hears and he will answer. Well, how do you, what do you think that Elizabeth did? She did the dance of joy. And then John in her womb did the dance of joy. You know, when, when Mary, Mary comes and the baby leap within me, that's the word dance. <laughs> you know, so I just want to encourage you that God can give you the patience to wait. He's always hearing, he's always listening, and he loves you and he will answer. Sometimes it's yes immediately, sometimes it's no immediately, but oftentimes it's not now, but in my timing. So we do live in an impatient society, and Peter knew this, and, and he writes about this in 2 Peter 3. It says, know this first of all, this isn't in your outline yet, that in the last days, are we in the last days? Yes. Mockers will come. Do we have a lot of mockers? Whew tons and they will they'll come mocking following their own lusts and they're going to say 
where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continue just as it was from the beginning of creation. Don't tell me about your faith. Nothing's changed. But it goes on to say in that portion, in Peter 3, 8 through 9, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God's timetable isn't our timetable. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. When we consider to be waiting for the return, it's the very demonstration of his compassion towards us that more people might come to him. And so how great is his patience toward us, his chosen bride? So instead of considering our groom slow to come back, we have to think of it as a gift to keep preparing for his arrival. So as I mentioned, this particular stage has an element of surprise and mystery. So we want, don't want to grow anxious or doubtful, but just we want to live in hope. And that's what this whole section session is about. Let's look at the role. So we are to be hopeful. We are to be purifying ourselves, as you spoke about in your small groups. Um, guard over your heart, for from it flow the springs of life, right? Is that the verse? And it's two times guard. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Two different Hebrew words, shomer and netzer, for guard, like an army. Okay, so... What are, what's the groom doing? Well, while the bride is making herself ready, this fetching of the bride can only come when the father gives final approval that everything's ready. And so the groom, back in the day of Joseph and, you know, in biblical times and even um, as his history went, Jewish history went on, the groom would build a dwelling place for his bride. Sometimes it was an addition to the father's house. And sometimes, you know, but then the father had to give final approval. It's ready. You can go get her now. So it was, a, it was dependent on the father's approval and the pro father's timetable when he said it's all good. You can do it. So let's look at the, your first portion of scripture here. The role of the groom during the betrothal, the fetching of the bride. So we're going to see Yeshua is preparing for us. And he's talking to his disciples in John 14. He says to them, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Why did he have to say, don't let your heart be troubled? Because they were worry warts, just like us. <laughs> All those disciples and the many women who followed Jesus around and supported him, like Miriam of Magdala or Mary Magdalene, they had their own issues, and he had to keep encouraging, do not be afraid, do not worry, do not be anxious. And here he's telling them again, why shouldn't they be worried? He says, you believe in God, you believe also in me. We, we're 
connected here. I'm the way to the Father. So he says, in my Father's house are many what? Dwelling places. Some of you have mansions, right? I like mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what will happen? I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And then I didn't put this in there, but Thomas, if you sort of remember the, the picture, one of the disciples says, Lord, what are you talking about? I don't know where you're going, and I don't even know the way to get there. You know, <laughs> I liked him because he was, you know, unless I put my hands, you know. Okay, so then Jesus says, what, let's, let's see if you remember this verse. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So he's saying, uh, don't worry, Thomas. You believe in me, you've got the way there. So we have the parallel of where, uh, how to get there. And um, the way that he was going was the way of sacrifice. Because he was, remember, he was going to pay our bride price. He hadn't done it yet. He was, he uh, mentioned the covenant that would be poured out in his blood at that Passover meal. And this was after that, that he was explaining to them. And I just want to say that if you're here this morning and wondering how Jesus can be the way for you, he, he says, I am the way to the Father. I am the truth. I am the life. So I want you, I know that we have a very wonderful group of awesome women, and you come from different backgrounds. Some of you were invited here. Some of you have been here since the year, Olive, no. <laughs> You've been here from the very beginning. But it doesn't matter. God sees our hearts. And think about, do I know Jesus? Have I said yes to him? Have I said yes to my dress that I'm going to find linen? And the, so, and you can talk to your group leader, you can talk to your friends, and we'd be happy to just talk with you. Um, so it's important to recognize, now this is another, and I'd be happy to talk to you too. So it's important to recognize that even Messiah, our groom, did not know the exact time that he would return for his bride. Isn't that amazing? When his disciples were growing impatient, they not only were worry warts, they were impatient. And they, they, were, they wanted him to establish the Messianic kingdom. Why did they want that? Because they didn't want to be under the heels of the Romans anymore, and they wanted to rule and reign with him. Like, can I sit on your right side? Can I sit on your left? You know, they were. God chose these amazing disciples and the women of Anyhow, so, <laughs> so Yeshua said, and I don't have this verse in your outline, not, it, it, I just forgot to send in all the verses, but listen, okay? This is how Messiah answered his disciples. When are you going to establish the kingdom? When are you going to come back? He said, you're coming back to prepare a place, you know. He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So and that, that fits into the Jewish tradition, and, and it was customary, I love this, for the groom to snatch his bride away at night. 
and you'd come with torches, you know, and singing and rejoicing, and the bride and the groom, the groom would come and snatch his bride. So we have a parable, um, and I don't have this, but listen, you parable of the ten virgins. Maybe you wondered about that. But that's, that's parallel to this third step. It says um, in Matthew 25, 6, but at midnight, I'm in my jammies about 8.30. I don't know. <laughs> at midnight, what happens? It says there was a shout. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Come out to meet him. He's ready for you. The father has said it's the time. All is ready. And then the parable goes on to explain that um, in verses 10 through 13, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. And then there were five who came who were late because they had not prepared, they had not accepted their groom. They thought they had, but they hadn't. And he says, uh, you can't come in. I don't know you. Be on the alert for you do not know the day or the hour. So we have this amazing section now, and I would like us to have the demonstration from our Vanna White of the day. She's going to come out and demonstrate the shofar. Well, could I'm we? Doing. I'm not no, well, you could pretend. Yeah. Do we have? Lucy, okay. <laughs> what? Uh, you can do it. If you can get a sound out of it, you're an expert. All right. Okay. The sound of the shofar. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let's look at the portion where it talks about the sound of the shofar. And 1 Thessalonians 1, first of all, we have the context that Paul is telling the congregation of Thessalonica. He's commending them. He says, I've heard how you've turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You see where I am? And to, let's read this, to wait for his son from heaven. There's our patience. We have to wait. We're waiting whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, we're not going to get into eschatological discussions here. But that's a pretty good proof text that we're going up before the wrath to come. Just saying. <laughs> so when I discuss this with people who have a different point of view, I say, I'll see you on the way up and I'll say, I told you so. <laughs> No, it doesn't, you know, anyhow. So, but then look what he says. He goes on to encourage them. And here's our text that we um, was so demonstrated there by Lucy. Thank you. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with what? With the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Messiah. And that should be, it could be the shofar of God. And the dead... In Messiah shall rise first, those who died already. Then we, I hope he comes back. Maybe he'll come back during this ceremony. That'd be great. <laughs> who are alive and remain. 
We'll meet, we caught up together with him in the clouds to meet him in the air, Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. And there, this last phrase is very important for us. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We need to come alongside each other, give each other a hug, and say, he might come back today. I know you're going through a hard time, but God will give you what you need to wait, and maybe he'll come back today. Wouldn't that be wonderful? So we have... We need to be encouragers to each other. And so we have um, the First Thessalonians portion, which you probably uh, might know. Behold, I tell you a mystery. There's the mysterious idea. We shall not all sleep, but we will be changed in the moment. In the twinkling of, uh, of the eye at, a, at the last shofar, the trumpet will sound. So now um, Sarah mentioned this, that we are actually in the high holy day period for the Jewish calendar. And every year, we use these times of year especially to reach out to Jewish people who haven't yet accepted Jesus as the Messiah. Just last Sunday night, we had the shofar sounding, and a number of unsaved Jewish people came to our Rosh Hashanah service. Now, it's interesting because in Leviticus 23, it explains this sounding of the shofar. It says, speak to the sons of Israel, saying in the seventh month, this is the seventh month on the Jewish calendar, just in case you were wondering. I wonder what month it is on the Jewish calendar. Oh, it's the seventh month. Okay. <laughs> on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a Shabbat, a reminder, and then it gives a memorial of blowing of the trumpets or the shofarot. Now the rabbis, as they pondered these things, take, bear in mind they don't have a clue that Jesus, they don't believe in Jesus. You know, we're talking about tradition. They were thinking, hmm, I wonder what it means to have a memorial of the blowing. What are we supposed to remember? So it happened to be in Babylon when we were in exile it was the seventh month, and it became the, it was Tishrei, which is what the month is called in Babylonian. I know you're really interested in that. <laughs> but the Jewish community or the sages decided, let's just have a new year. It's the Babylonian new year. It's on the seventh month. That doesn't matter. We'll have a new year. So they called it Rosh Head Hashanah of the year. And all these traditions were built around Rosh Hashanah. But it's biblically called the Feast of Trumpets, a, re a reminder of the blowing of the trumpets. And this makes it even more mysterious because in God's uh, overview of Scripture, he was pointing us forward to this very time that we should be listening for the sound. And if Lois, uh, Lois, right? Lucy, I got the L right. If Lucy came in your bedroom and blew that show. <laughs> you'd be you'd be jumping up and down. <laughs> Woo, something's happening. <laughs> so So the idea of living in eagerness and patience is very important. So we we Sarah and I thought how amazing that God would put this uh, celebration of his return right in the middle of the high holy days. And we just, and we're looking forward, we have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and then we have 
Feast of Tabernacles, uh, which is a picture of our eternal celebration. And just FYI, Sam's book, Messiah and the Feast of Israel, go into all that. I think we even have a chart, if you like charts. So the, clear, the sound of the trumpet will be a clear signal to the believers. And it was, so Paul was trying to encourage these guys in, in Thess, uh, Thessalonica, and he was also trying to encourage the Philippians. We have this um, verse there from Philippians 3, 20 through 21. And this is, of course, some of you have the book of Philippians memorized. Anybody? <laughs> Maybe your husband. <laughs> I was just, we were confirming uh, at, at the table there how important it is to memorize scripture. Just another plug. So Philippians 3, 20 through 21, Paul is saying to them, for our citizenship is where? From which also, here's the phrase, eagerly wait. That phrase is like, I can't wait, I can't wait. I'm, when's it going to happen? Eagerly, like, oh, no. If he comes back today, I'm not quite ready. You know, no, it's eager. Eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. And what's he going to do? Look at verse 21. Who will what? Transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, as he su uh, even to subject all things to him to, uh, to himself. We've got we've got such an amazing future. He's going to transform these, you know, your artificial knee, <laughs> your artificial hip. <laughs> it's going to be transformed, all made new, and. <laughs> And it, it's amazing what, what medicine has done to give us these amazing tools so we can get around in these mortal bodies, but the mortal's going to put on immortality, and the perishable is going to put on... Thank you. <laughs> Great. So let's look at this last portion before we close for this section, because... This is a portion that I've memorized. Um, just, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, and, and we were talking about what's the best way to memorize portions of scripture. Well, for me, what I found really worked was in my journal when I'm having my daily deeds, you know, trying to be spiritual and worship the Lord and put down my prayer request, I start writing out these passages. And I try to do it every other line so I can go back and see the mistakes I made. You know, so for me, that's been working. Visually writing it down, longhand, and then going back, and then and just by repetition. And it, it's so wonderful. So this portion, look at 1 John 3, 1 through 3. The beloved John, we're going to talk more about him after lunch. He's telling these believers... See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon who? Us. That we should be called children of God. And such we are. Now for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, 
Now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. But what do we know? That when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? Because we'll see him just as he is. And here's our hope. And I think this was in your pure section, was it, when you went over? And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Just a couple of things. You know, um, it says, when it says, behold what manner of love, this phrase is like a question of amazement. Like, what kind of country is this? What kind of love is this? It's the culture of heaven. It characterizes our God, that he loved you and he chose you and he's preparing a place for you. And when the time is right, <laughs> we'll listen for the shofar. But it's amazing because he says, what kind of love is this? And, 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 and then it says, uh, another word, just to look, he says, Beloved, see I'm in the middle of the verses, now we are children of God. We have eternal life now. It's not in the sweet by and by, it's now, it's now. And he wants us to not wait till we die or be fetch, fetched away. He wants us to understand our... our um, place in his family that he has everlasting life for all of you currently and this present eternal life means we are his bride we are daughters of the king of kings and all his glory and promises are for us to enjoy and utilized as we are valued and eternally desired by him today and so we don't know exactly i don't know how that transformation is going to take place but I believe that when I see him, I'm going to be like him because I'm going to see him as he is. So we'll just, you know, trust that he's in control, working things out. And as we think about this, this is a purifying hope, just as you spoke about. And that word hope is, in Hebrew, is tikvah. And it means, maybe some of you have heard the national anthem of Israel. It's called hatikvah, the hope. It means confident expectation I hope I hope I hope I hope I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow no it's not that I have my hope my confidence in him he's coming back for me and when the father says it's the right time we're going to meet him in the air and we're going to be transformed and we'll see him just as he is so let's live in the light of this imminent return and oh, I have till 1230, don't I? Okay. So I don't have them in your outline, but there's a passage in Romans, Romans 5, 3 through 5, and it says, so this is the, we don't want to hear it, but it's what our lives are about. Now, and not only this, Paul says, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing why can we praise the Lord in our tribulations? Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. What's perseverance? We can do it. And perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, that is that confident expectation. Hope does not disappoint 
because the love of God has been poured out within us, within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So we don't know how things are going to turn out all the time. And, we might, and again, you might be going through the worst of situations and you think it can't get any worse. Well, it could get worse. But you have a God, and says in Romans 8.28, who is working all things together. He causes all things. That's a very important. He's causing all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we don't always understand why things happen the way they do and why God allows certain outcomes. Here is where our faith and patience is tested. And we need to keep strengthening that. And one way is to strengthen each other. That's why we need each other desperately. That's why I love teaching in women's groups. Because we women have the wombs. We got the breasts. <laughs> we got the wombs and the breasts. <laughs> I'm not trying to be. Okay, I was sharing with Sarah. And I have this in the Compassion and Redemption book uh, at length. Um, but womb is based on the Hebrew word rechem. And if you've heard the name of God, the father of mercies or compassion, av harachamim in Hebrew, it's never one drop of mercy. It's always in the plural. And God chose that name it, based on our wombs, the, fa the father of mercies. He pours it out. What does uh, Jeremiah say? His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And then the breast is El Shaddai. Shad is the, uh, the feminine breast in Hebrew. And it's in the Hebrew language. You know, if you go to Israel, you know, it's a common Hebrew word. And it's based in, it, in the El Shaddai, God Almighty, is based on that word. So God loves women. Amen. He created us. So. And <laughs> he's going to, but he's going to come back and get us. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. We look forward to that shofar blast. <laughs> but help us as we're waiting to know that you have the timing perfectly down. You know exactly when you're going to send our groom to fetch us. And we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. <laughs>